Greetings to uh, this part of the service. It's a blessing to see all of you here. And again, a welcome to the visitors. And I do appreciate that first message very much. Is brokenness a period of time or is it a lifelong process? <laughs> there are definitely periods of time, definitely. So, this morning I uh, want to have the uh, a second part of a message that I had on Easter Sunday two weeks ago where I preached on Christ is a victor. And in that message, we unpacked the statement that Paul had made to the Corinthians as he was contrasting the wisdom of the world with the wisdom of God. So uh, before we get into the message, let's just pause for a word of prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful, Lord, that you were broken for us and that we can also Follow your steps. Lord, but you were not broken for your own sins. You were broken because of our sins. And then, Lord, we need to be broken because of our sins. And sometimes we are broken because of other people's sins. So thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. We pray, Lord, you would speak to our hearts, continue to speak to our hearts today and show us Guide us, nurture us, Lord, and let instruct us according to your ways and your path. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, two weeks ago, had unpacked uh, those two verses, that one verse, that a statement that Paul had made in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 7 and 8. And I will read them now, and I'll just get a little bit of review before we go into the message for today. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Who were the princes of this world? What was it that they did not know? And what was the result of them crucifying the Lord of glory? Those are some of the things we looked at. And, of course, we discovered that the princes of this world is the devil and his array. They are against God and his plan, and they succeeded, the devil, succeeded in getting our first parents to sin. And he plunged the whole human race into Satan's domain. When Satan got Adam and Eve to sin, the whole human race plunged into a completely different domain than what they had been in before. Were it not for the immediate intervention of God, talking about broken things, 
brother. Things were broken. If there would have not been immediate intervention of God, it would have been a total lost cause. God stepped in that very day, in the cool of the day, and dealt with them, gave them their pronouncements of judgment, but then he made those coats of skin. God, God intervened, but it was in the devil's domain. <clears throat> Actually, when God, it was in those pronunciations of judgment that we have the first promise of a coming Redeemer. And I just discovered as I was studying yesterday, and you might all know this, but that pronunciation of the coming Redeemer was given in the context of a judgment to the devil. It was actually a judgment of the devil that is couched into that promise. And I'm going to read it, that you understand it there. Genesis three fourteen and 15. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So there was a judgment to the devil, and part of the judgment that came was a promise that somebody is going to bruise your head. So the prince of the world is the devil, and along comes Jesus, the second Adam, Jesus, the Bible says, was the second Adam. And so the devil gets his full blast at at Jesus. Tried to kill him as a baby. Tried to destroy him in the wilderness temptations. And continued those temptations through his ministry. And nothing worked. So he tried to kill him again. He entered into Judas. The Bible says Satan entered into Judas, got Judas to betray Jesus to the Jews, and the Jews took him to the Romans. And lo and behold, the devil succeeded. The prince of this world killed the prince of glory. Take that in once. How does that happen? The devil won. They were probably high-fiving each other somewhere wherever they are. Or had they won. Along comes Sunday morning and Jesus rises from the dead. And he is the victor after all. And he won it. By wanting, winning the devil right on his territory and succeeding every battle the whole way to death. And he won. And it was a decisive victory. It was a permanent victory. It was no longer any chance for the devil to win. It was all done. The devil's chance to keep control of the world is over. Jesus is now the rightful ruler and the king of this universe. 
the prophecy in Genesis has been fulfilled. Then the question that we asked at the last, at the very last part of that message two weeks ago, we asked, I asked the question, well, if the devil lost, if he permanently lost and for good, if he's toast, why, as we look around, does it look like he didn't lose? If you look around in the world, and we heard some of that this morning, broken things. If Jesus won, why is this world such a broken place? If you look around, it actually looks like the devil won. And it looks like he's winning better every day. So where is the victory that Jesus won from the devil? Where is Jesus and his kingdom in this seemingly God-forsaken world? The tragedies, the wars, the evils. Did the devil get it back somehow? You know, those are valid questions. People ask those questions. They are very real questions. This morning, my message will be a little more philosophical than practical. Some of you will be okay with that. Others of you may have to just bear through it. But not all my messages are going to be philosophical. They're not going to be practical. But this one will be... So we're going to ask the question, so what is still wrong with this world? There is a verse in 1 John that has a nutshell answer. 1 John, a very, very familiar verse. 1 John 5, 19. 1 John 5, 19 says, And we know that we are of God. And the whole world lieth in wickedness. The ESV says it this way, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's post-resurrection fact. Here in a nutshell, we still see two camps, two sides, two dominions, two powers. The one side is described as we are from God. The other side is described as the whole world. And it's the whole world that lies in wickedness or in the power of the evil one. That's the other side. So, when Jesus rose from the grave, he did not. When he defeated Satan and he defeated death, he did not eradicate Satan or evil. He didn't wipe the slate clean. Not now, he didn't. Jesus is going to destroy the devil, but he's doing it in stages. God has always been doing that. The first time he did it was immediately after the fall. 
here comes the devil and he takes over. But God limited the devil and gave provision for mankind. He intervened immediately rather than just walking away from a broken situation. He could have theoretically just abandoned them, but he didn't. Then God stepped in during Noah's time when the devil was taking the world over with such a storm that it came down to one righteous family. And God salvaged it, limited the devil. Then we had the Tower of Babel, where we had that intervention. Then God chose a man, Abram. And out of that man, he developed a people, a nation, to to, um, personally carry on the banner of truth through the centuries. Now, he had quite a bit of, there were quite a bit of difficulties with that program, obviously, because of mankind. Not God's problem, but it was mankind. But it was the kingdom of God on earth in its time, the Jewish nation. And then comes Jesus, the promised redeemer, and he wins the decisive victory. And this is the victory that we're living in now. In the future... Jesus is coming back again, and it's going to be another stage. He is going to uh, He's going to destroy the devil, going to bind him up, and, and going to, depending on what your eschatological thoughts are here, it varies here, I'm not going to get detailed in it. My personal persuasion is, He is going to bind the devil and there's going to be a reign on earth. And that's the next stage. Then, at the end of that period of time, the devil will be loosed and there will be another episode. And then, at that point, there is going to be the the devil and his host thrown in the lake of fire and there is going to be a complete eradication of evil and the devil and that will be the end. So the devil... Now, sorry, God does things in stages, and we are in one of those stages right now. The title of the message is Safety in a Hostile Environment. The whole world lies in wickedness. After Jesus has mopped up all the evil, taken care of the devil, taking care of death, taking care of sin, he's going to turn around and he's going to hand the kingdom over to the Father. And we can be there and watch that. I think it will be a great time to see that. But that's still in the future. We are here now. There are two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the evil one. Jesus' victory over the devil back at the cross, did not take away the devil. It's a few more verses that describe this, and it's Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Well, verse 4. Yeah, let's verse 3 and 4. Grace be unto you, and peace 
from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is introducing himself to the Galatians. And Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. He, Jesus, gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. It's that he might deliver us. God gave himself, Jesus gave himself in order to deliver us. It was necessary that he gives himself so that he can deliver us. Now there is deliverance here. Now the wording is really important. It's deliver us not out of this present evil world, but from of this present evil world. You look at the wording there. He gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present world. So he didn't come to deliver us out of this present world. He came to deliver us from this present world. And that is significant. It's a very specific kind of victory. Now I want to paint a picture in your mind. And we're going to use this analogy for most of the message here. You are in the Yukon. Uh, Yukon Territory. Used to be called Northwest Territory, I think, up in Canada. Or you're in northern Alaska, wherever you want to be up there somewhere. And it is 40 below zero. And the real field temperature is 60 below. The sun shines only a few hours a day. And then it's a long night. It's a very uninhabitable world. You need to go out and you need to walk five miles to your nearest neighbor. If you go out in your summer clothes, you will not survive. You will freeze to death. So how are you going to do it? You must go. Well, you could pray. You could pray to God. God would answer your prayer and he'd take away the cold and it would be 75 degrees and you walk the five miles and you'd be okay. That's like the equivalent of moving the devil out of our environment. But God didn't do that. And he doesn't. The cold remains and you need to go. Now what? Your third option is to dress for the weather. Two undershirts, two pairs of long johns, three pairs of socks, flannel shirt. I don't know what you ladies would wear in that case. You get the picture. You have to put on some armor. You have to. You know that your survival depends on it. There are no options. And when you are fully dressed, you can go out and you can go those five miles safely. This is an attempt to describe the victory that Jesus won for the world the 40 below zero world that we live in, that lieth in the power of the evil one. He does not cause the cold to go away, nor does he say you don't need to go those five miles. He doesn't take that away. 
Instead, he provides the provision that enables you to go and to survive. He purchased the cold weather clothing for us. So, we could rephrase some verses. I am the socks and the coats and the headgear. No one comes to the nearest neighbor but by putting them on. It's a very familiar verse. There is only one name or way put on your winter gear gear in the Yukon in which you can survive. So Jesus won the battle and the war against the devil. He won it decisively. He won it permanently. And he won it completely. Jesus did. But he did not yet destroy the devil and his environment. And that's why as we look out over the landscape and we see this world, we can see the effects and the working of the devil. This world looks like it's 40 below. Most people are not surviving. Most people are not dressed for this weather. Some of them put, many of them, put on fig leaves, their own works, their own ideas, but it's not enough. They are susceptible to the cold and the devil. They are under his influence and they are freezing to death. And that's why the gospel is such good news. It's the news of salvation of survival in the most uninhabitable environment you could think of. You know you're in the cold. You know it's only a matter of time till you freeze to death. You don't know how long, but you know you're going to freeze. Many around you don't seem to be aware that they're freezing. It's their normal environment. They normally feel cold and it's okay. They normally feel that way. They seem to be content to go on until they freeze. And if you say something about their condition, they will say, either deny it or they will point to their Hawaiian shirt and their Bermuda shorts and their flip-flops that they have on and say, I am clothed. But it's not enough. And you, supposing you don't have your clothing on, you know that you're cold. You know that your muscle shirt and your boxer shorts aren't doing nothing to keep you from freezing. And you know you're going to freeze without some serious intervention. And in one way, shape, or form, you come to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that man, Jesus. He blazed the trail. He was the first one to ever go those five miles successfully. And once he'd done it, he turns around and he offers the same protection to each one of us. He offers the same clothing he used to everyone that is out in this frigid, deadly environment. And he provides full and complete and secure protection. The whole way to the end. And so you are persuaded and you believe it. 
you would say, if only some way I can get that clothing on, I will be safe. And so, like the Philippian jailer, said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Come to him. Put on all he offers you, and thou shalt be saved. And thy house, if they do the same thing. He hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. The Lord Jesus Christ did that. So basically, Jesus overcame the devil for the purpose of providing provision and for building an alternative society right in the middle of the devil's frigid domain. We know that we are of God and the whole world lieth in wickedness. This is apparently what the devil didn't know when he crucified the Lord of Glory. He didn't know. He thought if he kills the Lord of Glory, he would have a monopoly on the environment. That's what he thought. Instead, Jesus won and he has established an alternative society in the middle of that environment. He stated clearly, on this rock will I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, as we look around this world and we see it looks like the devil's world, we have to remember that is according to plan. That is not an accident. That is the way God has planned it. Deliverance is in the midst of it not out of it. And it is for everyone. There's that uh, song that we sing occasionally. Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease? That sounds like 75 degrees. While others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas. 1 Peter 4.1 says, For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself likewise with the same mind, for he that has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Spiritually, our world is 40 below, snow-covered, and mostly dark. There are thousands and millions and billions of people in this dark unhospitable environment spiritually. The Bible clearly says that the devil is the God of this world and he has blinded the eyes of the world so that they can't see lest they believe and be saved. You know, it's extremely important how we see the world. Do we see the world from God's perspective or from man's perspective. Is the world a 75 degree place? Most of us would say, well, no, it's not that. We know there's a lot of trouble. Well, is the world maybe a 40 degree place? It's quite uncomfortable, but it's survivable. 
or is it 40 below? It is impossible to survive without outside intervention. It makes a difference, a huge difference in our lives, how we see the world. What glasses do you have on? What filter do you take in the world? What is your worldview? Now, as you look out into the world, do you see the world as a playground? A place to have fun, to be carefree. I have a verse for you, and it's addressed to youth, but it applies to us all. And I'm going to read the same translation that um, our brother read this morning, New Living Translation, and it's Ecclesiastes 11.9. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. Remember, that's a paraphrase of Ecclesiastes 11.9. That's what God, through Solomon, tells us. It's a way to see the world. It's exciting. It's wide open for me to explore. And maybe it's a place to shake off some of the restrictions that have been put on me and to go out and enjoy But I didn't read the whole verse. If you're familiar with that verse, I didn't read it all. There's another part. Here's the last of the verse. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. So go enjoy it. Go live it up. But know this. You will give an account. If you're not dressed for the cold, you will freeze as solid as an iceberg. Or, as you see, look out into the world, do you see it as a dangerous place in which death is all around you and never far from you? Even if you are dressed, you're a Christian, and you are protected, and you have your armor on, you're only inches away from death at all times. I was never... In 40 below temperatures. But I was in 20 below already. The all-time cold temperature record in Harrisburg was on January 22nd, 1994. How do I know that? Because that was the night we were traveling from Pennsylvania to Wisconsin in a diesel van. It was cold. We had our little family. It was Vanita. We had a one-year-old Joshua and a three-year-old Joseph along. And there was another family. There were two families in a diesel maxivan, and we were heading west. During the night, I was driving. After midnight, I felt the van hesitate a few times and then kept on going and I just not sure about this about 4 a.m. I felt the thing stall just going past an exit right in this is turnpike I mean the exits are far apart you know 
pulled in and we rolled up to the toll booth and it stopped. And that was it. It was 20 below. We had a banana for snacking in the van and that thing froze right in front of our, right, right in our hands. It was cold. The turnpike personnel, they do not let the public into the toll booth, but they did. And they allowed us to stay there until we were towed to a repair shop. I don't remember for sure, but I think we were towed in the van. I don't remember how we got there anymore. If we would have been out in a rural area far between the exits, we'd have been in serious trouble. Why was that? Well, as long as the van was running and it was warm, it was cozy, we were all okay, but we were in a hostile environment. And we were only a few feet away from it all the time. And as soon as we lost our protection, protection, we were in that hostile environment. So do you see the world as a dangerous place? Do you see it as it is naturally against life? It is naturally for death. Death is the default position of this world. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. That's our environment. That's the 40 degree below world we are in. We do not have a true and permanent friend in this world. So wherein is our safety and our security? That's where we come to that victory in Jesus. John 10.10, 10, the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy you get a picture of our environment? Steal, kill, and destroy. That's the environment we're in. But I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Life abundant in a frigid environment? That's what Jesus brings. Second Corinthians is another verse, verses nine, verse uh, Second Corinthians chapter nine and verse eight, and this is in the middle of context of giving, the saints giving for the cause of of the uh, Lord's work, and then God gives this promise to His people who obey Him. He says, "And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye." always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Wherein is our protection? Well, here is a promise. It's all grace, always, all things, abounding. <laughs> I think that John D. Martin said this is his favorite verse because it just has so many all abounding, no bounds in it. 
if you and I are tapped in, if we are staying connected to the vine, the vine of the Lord Jesus, the Father is the gardener, the Lord Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. If we're connected in, in faith and obedience, then this promise applies to us. Even in 40 below, there is comfort, there is fellowship, there is community. It is a hostile environment, but our needs are well supplied. This past Wednesday evening, near the end of our serious and honest meeting, Rex gave us all a challenge and an encouragement. I used it over there. I think you'll probably remember it. He said, are you able to find water in the middle of a drought? We are going to go through some dry times as a congregation. Are you dependent on an ideal environment to survive? Can you find water, the water you need and help others find water they need in the time of drought. That was the challenge, the question and the challenge that he gave us. Sometimes the environment is more hostile than others. I imagine I was never up in the uh, up to the Arctic Circle, but I imagine you could get some milder winter days. I imagine you could get a 20-degree day, a 20 below. It's 20 belows and the sun's shining. That's pretty hospitable, right? Well, it's not as bad. Sometimes it's dark and it's 60 below and it's windy. So it can really be bad, but remember this. What did God say? God is able to make all grace abound. He is able to make all grace abound toward you. It's so specific. There's no way we can not understand that. He is able to make it have no bounds toward you and me. That ye, and this ye is plural, that you all always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. We can all make it in a hostile environment. No, we can all survive. No, we can all thrive. No. We can all have an overflowing abundance. Isn't that what I hear? Let's not give in to the victim mentality. I can't go on because of this person or that situation. I'm going to give up because that person has failed me. This has happened. That has happened. You know, we are going to fail each other. 
people do fail. It is God that does not fail. And so we can survive, we can thrive, we can have abundance. Now I know, and was said this morning, in time of brokenness there is not that joy, but it's coming. You can have confidence and faith, and I guess like the children's lesson say, you can trust God. Now, I have painted quite a negative picture of our world, and I did it on purpose. We need to understand that we live in a dangerous, threatening world. We need to understand that. We need to see it as God tells us like it is. First, Peter you can actually turn here because I'll be reading at a few verses and then you can have your Bible open maybe. First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5 and we'll look at one verse first. Verse 8. What is this world like? And how should we behave? Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, that's not just a Bible verse that we can memorize, which you can and should. This is the environment we're living in. That's what it is. It's reality. It was true for when Peter wrote those words to those scattered people, in those different areas, it was true. Just several decades after Jesus rose from the grave, that was true. And it's just as true today. There is still that same adversary. Jesus overcame the adversary, and he opened the prison door, and that we can come out. He overcame the strong man. He took away his armor, and he delivered his captives, anyone who will follow and trust the Lord Jesus. He has done that. But according to God's word, an adversary described as a roaring lion is still walking about. And he has an objective. What do lions do? Well, what does it say? Seeking whom he may devour. He is seeking who? He's seeking each one of you. So what can I do? Well, the first word there is to say be sober. This is a little bit more the practical part. Be sober. Don't get drunk. That's really what it means, but it means more than that. I have heard stories of the early settlers how they sold whiskey to the uh, Native Americans, the Indians. Sometimes they just gave whiskey simply to get control of them. The Indians would have had alcohol, I understand, but it was nowhere, nowhere close as potent as whiskey. And so many Indians became addicted to whiskey. 
And they got stone drunk. Some of them, when they got that drunk that they passed out in cold weather, they froze to death. Peter says, God says to us through Peter, be sober because you can freeze to death. Be vigilant in our hostile environment. Don't imbibe anything physically, emotionally, or spiritually that will inhibit you to make you vulnerable to the devil. John Wesley's mother once wrote this following advice in a letter to him. Some of you may be familiar with this. And she was telling him to a judgment, and this is what she said. Would you judge the lawfulness? The wording is a little strange here. To judge the lawfulness or unlawfulness of any pleasure, take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off the relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that is sin. That statement encapsulizes significantly that Bible verse. It says, be sober, be vigilant. Don't allow things to take you away. Why not? Because we're in an environment that is going to devour you. What else do we do? Verse 9 of Peter chapter 5, whom resists steadfast in the faith. The devil is seeking you, and the Lord is your security, and you have a job to do. Resist. Put up some resistance. Don't be a pushover. But you know, it's more than just resistance. Resist him steadfast. Now, what's that mean? Well, you know, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link, right? You have a chain, and you pull on that chain, and you pull and pull and pull until it reaches the breaking point. The weakest link is going to break. Um, same way with um, offense. You put an animal inside a fence and it will find, if it wants to get out, will find the area it can get out. You may have an extremely strong fence here, but if you've got a hole over there, <laughs> expect whatever you have in to get out. So resist the Lord steadfast. Your resistance is only as strong as your weakest area. You must be aware of your weaknesses. In this environment, you must be aware of your weaknesses. When we were go going out 
in the middle of the night with that diesel van, we were not aware of one weakness. What was that weakness? We had some water in the fuel. We did not have the right kind of uh, additive to take care of that. You had a whole van that was working at one thing took us down. You must be aware of your weaknesses in this environment. Or you will be susceptible to the enemy. And when you're aware of your weakness, you must take action to deal with it. You must. If you don't, that is where you will fail. Resist steadfast in the faith. In the faith. It sounds like what I am saying. It sounds like it's everything you do. And it does. It does. You have a place in this. But what is the victory that overcomes the world? You're familiar with that, aren't you? That verse. What is the victory that overcomes the world? Even our faith. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So you have a world to overcome. You're going to need to do it by faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Or like we heard last week, Jesus is the King. If that's a reality and you believe that, And it's a reality you will overcome the world. Here we come back around to the victory. It is Jesus. He has won the victory. We will win the victory as we believe, as we connect, as we yield to him. It isn't automatic, but neither is there any reason we cannot be victorious. So, I'm going to read a few more verses. Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, the God of all grace, who has called us, he has called us, we're called, called unto his eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Make you perfect. It's like restoring an antique car. Or whatever you want to restore. When you're done restoring it, it's like new. God will do that to you, but not now, after you have suffered a while, (laughs) after you have suffered a while, then he will, and he will, and he will establish and strengthen and settle you. Oh, but I want it all now. I need it now. Well, if you want it, there's a pathway. Submit to God, resist the devil, devil, 
be steadfast in the faith, suffer a while, and you will have to promise that God will do it. Well, this is a rather negative message, preacher. Don't you believe in offensive warfare? I believe in offensive warfare. I believe in going out to the devil. Forget about this defensive warfare. We fight an offensive warfare over here. We don't worry about the devil because he is defeated. You know that armor in Ephesians chapter 6 doesn't cover your back. And that's true. So we fight an offensive, not a defensive war against the devil. It is a failure of faith if we run from the devil. It is. We should not run from the devil. But what is the purpose of armor? Why is the armor there in Ephesians chapter 6? If I know armor, armor is bulky. Armor will slow you down. Armor makes you less agile. So why not just skip the armor? I can fight better without armor. It's because we need it for protection. That's what armor is for. Armor is by its very nature defensive because you cannot fight in offensive warfare unless you are properly defended and protected. 80 to 90% of your armor is defensive. Even that sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which you say is offensive, and it is, is also defensive. It is. Prayer, which is mentioned in that armor, is both offensive and it's also defensive. Defensive warfare is a major part of the battle against the devil. Here is an anonymous word, uh, quote rather, that I don't know where it came from, but I thought I'd like to read it. If we must learn any lesson in all of life, it is that God is God and his word is sure. Virtually everything in life on this earth is under the sway of Satan, working through carnal-minded men at enmity against God. The devil's way is designed to influence man's thinking to believe that man is supreme, while simultaneously giving lip service to God as if they know him. It's just simply a repetition of what I have said before. Here's another quote, and I'm not sure again where this one came from, talking about the world. The world is very aggressive, and it's evangelistic, and it's enticing. 
It wants to shape our lives by its standards, its fashions, its entertainment, its principles, its philosophies, its music. The child of God must take his stand against the world's conforming pressure in every area of his life. So in conclusion, we are on the winning team. And this may be a somewhat negative message. We are on the winning team. Jesus has truly won. And the devil has lost. But brothers and sisters, let's not go out as if this is a mild sunny day. Let's not do that. The devil is angry. And that is an understatement. The devil is furious. We are safe only in the care and protection of our King, the Lord Jesus. He is our shepherd. He knows us by name. He seeks us. He leads us. He comforts us. In an unhospitable environment, we are warm with our Lord Jesus Christ. That is called safety in a hostile environment. So the main points I want to bring out this morning is as we look at the seemingly, well, the world that we live in and we see the devil has its sway, there is both an answer from that world, but it's also we must be aware of its dangers. So that would be my burden this morning. So may God bless you. May you be kept warm and safe and secure inside that clothing that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us. God bless you.